Welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Natalie Dignam. Today I'm talking with Tara Barrett. Tara is a public folklorist with Heritage Newfoundland and, and Labrador. She is researching the folklore and oral history of the province. Tara holds a BA in folklore and French and an MA in public folklore from Memorial University. She is a lover of all things vintage and an avid Pyrex collector. Welcome to the show, Tara. Thanks for having me. Well, I should say welcome back to the show. <laughs> yes, I've been on it a couple of times. Um, so I really don't know anything about Pyrex. And I guess I should start off by asking you, what is Pyrex? I guess Pyrex is a type of uh, bakeware. Um, I guess kind of some of the background history on it, it was uh, developed in the United States in the early 1900s. Uh, there was a glassware company down there that was making what's called borosilicate glass, which is a really durable type of glass that withstands like hot and cold temperature changes really well. And so they were developing these mainly for work on the railway and like industrial uses. They um, they would make the lanterns or the bulbs, or I guess the, the glass that go around the bulbs and the, um, the lanterns on the railway tracks. And so that's kind of how it started. And then <clears throat> there was a, a gentleman, uh, I guess he was a scientist uh, in their lab, and he they were trying to d- decide how they could uh, develop the glass and market it to a different audience and like what they could do with the glass besides these industrial uses. And the story that's told uh, is that he was talking with his wife about this over dinner and she said, well, why don't you bring it home and I'll see if I can cook something in it, what it would be like to cook in. So he brought kind of home kind of like half, half made bulbs or half made uh, pieces and she tried out several different recipes and was surprised that uh, it cooked so well, it came out really well, it came out of the glass very easily, and that um, she could see it while it was cooking, which she wouldn't be able to do with um, like tin or like other metal uh, materials that they were using for cooking at the time. So that's kind of how it started. And then I think around 1915, they launched it, selling it to the public. And uh, it was, I think, originally called Norex when it was an industrial product, and when they sold it to the uh, public, I think it was called Pyrex because of the uh, high heats and cooling temperatures. So like pie, kind of like fire, Pyrex. Um, and they were owned by Corningware. And they were owned by Corningware up until 1998. And Corningware is known for those kind of um, corral dishes that are really uh, durable and they withstand chips and they're not supposed to break. They're, I think when they do break, they kind of just shatter because they're such a good quality glass. Um, and so then in 1998, it was sold to World Kitchen. And around that time, they switched from this kind of harder uh, uh, borsilicate glass to another type of glass called soda lime. Um, they said it was for reasons of durability. But if you talk to people who collect vintage Pyrex, they'll tell you, for the most part, um, the newer Pyrex doesn't stand up the way the old stuff did. So, but yeah. Was the old, like the original Pyrex, was it like glass that was completely transparent or was it that like cloudy white color so it was completely transparent from like the 1915 like that kind of when that originally came out and through I guess the 20s and the 30s um and then in 1940s in the 1940s around 1945 they released their first 
I think they first released kind of opaque, um, kind of like that white milk glass uh, look. And then in 1945, they released their first uh, colored set, which was the primary set, which mm-hmm. for people who don't know is, is not actually the primary colors. It's uh, yellow, red, green, and blue. Yeah, and we'll definitely get into some of the patterns because as a collector, that is kind of like the big thing to collect. Yeah, so the reasons that people really like Pyrex or really like to use Pyrex, is what I've heard is, is kind of the things you talked about, like the heat resistance um, and like how it it's not going to shatter like glass in a different way. Are there other reasons why Pyrex was seen as kind of like this innovative, like better cookware than the other stuff that was available like in when it was first released yeah i think it was mainly the fact that you could see through it and you could watch you could like make sure that your product was cooking uh properly um it wasn't the only glassware on the market at that time but it it was kind of one of the the first ones to really market the housewives i think they initially reached out to um several i guess i don't know what their title would be but women who would do kind of um, demonstrations like home cook demonstrators uh, who I guess were selling to two women in the home so they reached out to them to try the product and that's kind of how they got into the market um, but when it initially came out I think it was mainly just like um, I guess kind of the novelty of being able to see through it and being able to make sure that your 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 material was cooking as well as it should and I guess um, both in I guess the early days and today with um, you know some of that vintage stuff the great stuff, the great part about Pyrex is that it's like from freezer to the stove. So like you can you can make a meal, you can freeze it in your Pyrex, you can take it out. I mean, you know, warranty says like or like you know the the the, the instructions are to like let it cool, like let it warm up, like put it in your fridge, let it you know unthaw, but then you can put it right in your like stove so you don't need multiple you don't need something just to freeze your products in like we use tupperware all the time today or you know rubber made like different um plastics today you don't need that you could just put it take it right from the freezer and then have a meal and pop it in your oven Mm -hmm. and it's it's also microwavable right yep yeah and um actually i think around i'm not sure on this date but i think around the 1980s they released and i could be completely off on that but i know kind of the the colors and the patterns that you see or the style that you see is i think 1980s um they released flameware so a type that you could put on your stove so they have um they have different pots i don't think they have pans um glass pans but they have glass pots and glass um kettles well not kettles but i guess glass um <clears throat> teapots that you can put on your stove mm-hmm. that are glass that are withstand um direct heat and i guess we should get into really like the collector side of this because it's an interesting story to see and I think this is something that was common with a lot of different products at this time of taking something for industrial use and then trying to kind of refashion it into a consumer product like there's uh, the whole story of Crisco which I think another podcast has done about Crisco and how they created this and they were like how are we gonna sell this to people and like creating the need Uh, but then the the collector part which is what you do is is kind of like how did the designs start and how did people start getting an interest in collecting this? I'm not actually 100% sure on how the designs started. I know like that, like I said, that first um, batch of the colored ones came out in 1945. And then after that, they kind of released um, some promotional dishes. So they would be kind of one-off, um, maybe just like what's called a divider dish, which is... Um, a dish with two sides, so you can make two different side dishes in one um, one uh, glass 
uh, casserole dish, I guess. So I guess they started off doing some promotional dishes, so just casserole dishes that were one-off with different patterns. And then um, I I guess they just realized the popularity of it and developed multiple patterns. Um, the collectible piece, I, I, th- I, I find this part fascinating, um, even though I am a collector myself, but... Uh, I guess that kind of comes about from the nostalgic point of view and for the most part, like um, I've talked to some people who have, who are collectors today and for some of them it's because uh, they inherited a piece from their, like their, their mom or their grandmother or like someone in their family or they, you know, um, they know that the product's really good and, and, you know, well made and they use it all the time. Or it's just like it, it looks beautiful because the patterns are awesome. So from a collectability standpoint, I'm not exactly sure when the patterns kind of came about, but uh, I think for most people, it's the patterns that really make it a collectible item. And do people try to get like a full set of a single pattern or are they looking at trying to collect different patterns like you were saying, those one-off things like, oh, I want to get this one that is really rare or I want to get all my dishes to be the same? I think that completely depends on the collector. Um, some people certainly want full sets. Um, I know, I mean, I would love to have a full set of certain certain styles, but I also have a couple that are <clears throat> one-offs. One that's kind of a, I don't know, one of the major ones that people collect that's kind of a hard one to come across is um, balloons, which is uh, kind of a turquoise blue with all these different balloon patterns, so like a hot air balloon and, and other kind of different balloons around it. And uh, it comes in like a bigger dish and or a bigger bowl and then a, a smaller bowl and it's a chip and dip set. So what you do is you put your chips in the bottom and your dip on top and there's a little bracket so you can, your, you know, your dip kind of suspends above your chips and you can eat your chip and dip. Um, but I think that depends on the person because um, I'm in a couple of Pyrex groups online and like on Facebook and also uh, on Instagram now. There used to be several blogs on the go, but... Uh, there's a lot of what people call Franken-sets. So that's when you have you either have a full set and you just want to mix it up, or you don't have a full set so you mix and match patterns. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about the patterns is that um, for the most part, they're all kind of brightly colored so they can mix and match really well. So it's, it's really neat to see people mix and match the different patterns. And how did you get into collecting? Um, I was thinking about that on my way over, I guess. I think I kind of started collecting around somewhere between 2011 and 2013. It was when I was in my undergrad. And um, my mom is an ECE, an early childhood educator. And so she dresses up for Halloween every year. And uh, she mentioned that she was going to the thrift store. And so she, like, we both went to the thrift store looking for Halloween costumes. And I went down the, and this was at Value Village, and I went down the um, housewares aisle. And I came across this set of four bowls, and I was like, oh, these are really these are really pretty colors. And I, I picked them up, and they were $10. And I brought them over, and I remember saying to my mom, I was like, these are these are so like so pretty. And she was like, oh my god, new bowls. You can get new bowls for $10 at Canadian Tire. Like, why are you buying bowls at Value Village? And I was like, because they're really pretty, and I like them. So I ended up buying them. And then I went home, and I went online, and I, I researched them, and I found out that I had gotten a full set of primary bowls um, from roughly 1945. That's when they started making them. So, like, at that time, like, 65, 70-year-old bowls, um, now, like, 75-year-old bowls, uh, that are, depending, at at that time, when I was looking them up, were worth, like, $100 for the full set online. 
I got them for $10 at the thrift store, and I think that hooked me because I was like, oh, these are A, so pretty, B, like, ooh, the thrill of the hunt. Mm-hmm. And so you just, like, you know, the the research part, so being able to go online and find out what that pattern was, when it was made, um, the nostalgia piece, like, that it was so old and so um, still, like, like full colors, like, still beautiful. Um, and they are super durable as a side note. Um, I used to have a shelf in, in my bedroom actually with all my Pyrex on it. And I don't know what my cats were doing, but at one point they knocked down two of my bowls, like from probably at least six feet off the ground and they were fine. I was like, I was a little bit mad when I came home and found them on the ground, but they were perfectly fine. They didn't shatter. So they are really durable. So cat proof. Yeah. Cat proof. Uh, and I, I was also wondering kind of like are they really valuable now like you talked about how those bowls are worth a lot but um it's not something i'd ever thought of like oh that like pyrex is it is it depending how old it is or how does that work i guess with anything that's collectible it kind of depends on the demand Mm -hmm. and especially within the past few years um there's been several articles and several um you know posts in magazines and and online articles um, talking about Pyrex and discussing that it's collectible and that's kind of uh, driven up the price really um, because it used to be really easy to find it in thrift stores and that's at least f- in my experience and from what I've seen from people online that's not the case anymore it's not A as easy to find it or B as cheap as it was like as um, you know when you're in a thrift store you expect prices to be thrift store prices for Pyrex they're no longer thrift store prices because they know that people are looking for these now, so they've upped the price. And sometimes you'll find them in like the locked cabinets, and you have to be like, "Can I, can I look at that Pyrex?" Because they've they've realized that there's a value behind it because people are collecting it. That's so interesting, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but when it came out, like when they first developed this, was this like a high end product? No, I mean like it was for like an everyday like at that time um you know for the most part women were in the home cooking like it was the women who were at home cooking so it was just made for like everyday housewives that's that was who the market was for um you know people who were cooking every day so when you're looking for pyrex now because you started off in thrift stores and you said that's kind of changed uh where do you go and where do you find most of your pyrex well i've i've um I've come to the point where I'm trying not to collect so much anymore. Um, The reason I remember that it was around 2011, 2013, it was because I was in my undergrad and I had um, a night course and my night course would end around 8.30. I would leave that night course and I would go to the three different thrift stores up on Camout Road after that night course, two nights a week. And that is when I got the bulk (laughs) of my Pyrex and I realized, oh my God, I need to stop. <laughs> and so a couple years back, um, the spot I was living, I got my uncle to, or I measured the the wall and I got my uncle to build me a shelf that was, um, you know, about a foot deep and about six feet wide. I got two shelves like that and then a smaller shelf uh, for my more collectible items, like my, my primary set. And I've got that balloon set, like I mentioned, and a, a horoscope set. So I got those kind of on, on another one. But I got him to make it so that it was the perfect size for the bowls to fit, but also for like pretty much the collection that I have so I'm trying to take a step back but if I do come across um, particular patterns at a decent price I will get them um, uh, my boss Dale his partner Kelly um, 
Facebook messaged me a couple of weeks back and was like, I've got this um, this Pyrex, and she, she sent me a picture, and what it was was a, a butterprint uh, Friggy, and a Friggy is, uh, Friggies were made to be, they were kind of like, I guess, the Tupperware of the time, so they were made for your fridge, so they, you know, they came in four different sizes, and they had uh, glass lids that went on top, and they were made specifically for your leftovers, um, and so, I mean, it was $12, and I was like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll take that, but I'm trying to take a step back but that was founded at a um, antique store I believe in Brigus who they have a nice little collection and this might seem a little bit off topic but um, in Newfoundland like you guys seem to have a lot of antique stores is this much of like a a garage sale yard sale kind of culture too Uh, do you mean the Pyrex or do you mean here in Newfoundland I guess in in the in in Newfoundland like is that would you go looking for them at like a yard sale or a garage sale as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have found them at different yard sales, um, and there's also several people around the province who kind of have, not necessarily antique stores, but kind of like in their back shed, they've got like an, an ongoing yard sale at, sale at all times. So I guess it could be an antiques, but it's usually just kind of like um, products from all different like eras or whatnot. Um, but yeah, no, I have come across them at, at yard sales and uh, and antique shops as well. And this is something that I find so interesting because I think we were together when we ran into one up by Port Rexton area. Uh, and that's something like kind of like the permanent yard sale, shed sale is not something I had ever encountered <laughs> until I was living in upstate New York, which has like a huge yard sale culture. Like people will sell anything on their lawn at all times of the year. So I find that very interesting. Oh, yeah. You can drive around the province and see, uh, like you said, kind of like permanent yard sales but you can also see like um homemade um arandac chairs like homemade oh, chairs, chairs yeah or um hubcaps hubcaps are very popular but like yeah you'll always see something on somebody's lawn for sale worms you know <laughs> do you have a favorite pattern that you collect probably um so i guess there there's lots of different patterns i'm a fan of bright colors so um the two patterns that I'm, are kind of my favorite are butterprint, uh, sometimes called Amish, um, which is uh, it's like a, usually a, a white or turquoise background and then the reverse color on the front, and it's got roosters and um, a farmer and different patterns. Um, and then also friendship, which is usually a white or red or orange, and then with the reverse color kind of on the front, and it's uh, all these birds. And that's, um, that's one that I know recently has come up in the news because... Um, there's a woman who's got, I can't remember if it's a woman or a man, but there's a, somebody who's got a kind of a, an armband tattoo of that yes. online. So yeah, she has, I thought of you when I saw this on the internet. <laughs> Three people, no, four people have shared that with me. <laughs> yeah, so the, just to describe it, it is, so that's the friendship pattern, Pyrex pattern, and she has it tattooed as like, yeah, a band on her arm. Yeah, so it's like two birds, and then there's kind of just like uh, little designs kind of interconnecting them. But yeah, so that's a pretty popular one. And is Pyrex something that's still being made? Are they still coming up with new patterns? Yes. So actually, uh, they kind of phased out, um, I guess, the patterns that I usually collect around the 70s, in the late 70s. And then in the 80s, they kind of went back to clear, but colored clear colors. And like I said, that flamer as well. And then when it was sold in 1998 to World Kitchen, um, they've kind of been exclusively selling the clear. But I think within the past... And I could be wrong on these years, but within the, within the past five or ten years, they've realized that there are collectors, 
And so they've put out um, different patterns for different times of the year. So they have had like um, usually just kind of a circular one with a lid on it. And so they've had um, like Halloween themed ones and Christmas themed ones. And there's um, a pattern that's very, very, very rare. Um, I think it's called Pyrex and Love. It's a, it's kind of like a clovers on the bottom and then there's like little hearts on the side. And so they've recently redone that as one of these new patterns on the clear glass. And so yeah, they've come up with several and they've released a couple of sets that are um, that white glass with um, remade patterns of older patterns. So they've kind of got like a butterprint one and they've got... Like modernized, I guess. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So it's interesting. And you, you talked a bit about kind of like the thrill of the hunt as a collector and are, are people looking for like the old ones? Do they want to kind of find these old Pyrex in unexpected places or are people okay with just going online and buying the new released stuff i think that also depends on the collector i think for the most part it's for a lot of people it's about the thrill of the hunt so it's it is about hunting them down um some people will make a post and be like oh no i had a glass of wine last night and i decided it was a great idea to buy this like beautiful pattern online on ebay and spend way too much money but i don't regret it um so like it's kind of a mix and the new ones i think that's kind of a split because some people really enjoy having the new ones and some people don't I've never seen them in stores I don't think that I would buy them personally just because I like the thrill of the hunt I like the fact that the old ones are as durable as they are and that you can still find them so for me that I wouldn't I don't think I would pick those up but it I think it really depends on the person yeah and I think the the internet changes so much about collecting whether you are because you can just google and find exactly the thing you're looking for which is such a different experience than like you're saying, going to the thrift store, going into an antique store and just seeing it kind of turn up. Yeah. And actually, um, I was gifted a set of, um, of glassware, uh, glass bowls that weren't Pyrex. And it was a it was a brand I wasn't familiar with. Like some of the other common ones are like uh, uh, Federal Glass or um, I can't remember the other name, Fire. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, Fire something or another. Um, and so it was a pattern that I wasn't familiar with and, um, I'm, I really like balance (laughs) and like order in my, in my chaos. And so in my kitchen, I had, um, uh, a kitchen made stand and then I, I had this other pattern, but there is, um, there's actually two bowls missing, but I went online and I found kind of one of those bowls that would make it the same height as my (laughs) kitchen made. So that was the only one that I've ever purchased online and it wasn't Pyrex, but it was mainly so that I could have it nice and balanced. And it was, it was not a horrible price online. And I was like, this is, this is fine. And this is something I just, just knowing you, I find really interesting is that you are a collector and collecting is about amassing stuff. But I also know that you like to be so neat and like, like you were saying, you only have enough room on your shelves for like exactly what you have in your collection so that you will not add to it. So, uh, yeah, is, has that been a struggle for you to be someone who loves to collect, but also is very, wants order and balance? Yes. (laughs) And declutter, a declutter. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, I think I come from a long line of like not semi hoarders I guess like not hoarders like my pop will keep anything because it might it might have a use at some point my mom is into like antiques and collectibles and um likes to have those I like to have them but I like to have them on display I like them to have a function um so yeah I like to try and rein it in and make sure that it's it's useful 
Yeah. And do you use your Pyrex to cook? Like, do you take them off that display shelf and use them? Yeah, I don't. I don't tend to use them every day. But if I'm going to a potluck or something, I might either cook in it or like put my stuff in it. So like, I have brought. Um, like those divided dishes I talked about, I have made like hummus and put hummus in one side and then chips on the other, or I have baked in some of the other ones. Yeah. And, uh, I know that you were also just love all things vintage. So I did kind of wanted to talk a little bit about like collecting vintage things and like what your attraction to that is. And I was also wondering, do you have kind of like a, a time period that is your like vintage yes. stuff that you love? <laughs> Very much so. Um, there's this great hashtag on Instagram called Vintage Style, Not Vintage Values, which is right up my alley because um, the time period that I, I really love is kind of like the 1950s, the 1960s. Um, some of that mid-century modern um, design-wise, but also just like the, the cookware and the mostly the kitchen products at that time. I do love to bake at home, so I, I, I love that, that era. Um, again, vintage style style and vintage values because like <laughs> I would never have been able to live in the 50s or so, like that would just not be for me um I do like to bake but I like to be able to do what I want when I want to be able to go out and work outside of the home so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah it is mainly that era that uh that's kind of my that my favorite time period is there something about the aesthetic that you feel like really attracts you to it and you talked a little bit about um like I guess interior design like mid-century modern is it like the fashion of that time too yeah it's kind of all of that um I guess both of my nans would have been um like housewives at that time or not necessarily housewives but that's the era that they would have been um new wives and new moms um so I think that's kind of part of it um but I guess it's also just the it's mainly like the aesthetic for me. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's kitschy. I love kitschy. It's, um, I don't really know exactly what it is, but it's just, it's that style that I really enjoy. And, and I do, um, I did put on like, um, kind of 50 style dress so that when we got our photo afterwards, it would be in the photo. Cause I do, I do kind of like all the style from that era. Yeah. And it's kind of, uh, I've watched Mad Men, so I know. I know a lot. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, and, okay, so sorry to interrupt you, but um, there's uh, there's this thing online. There's a hashtag called, uh, like, Pyrex spotting, because there's lots of Pyrex all throughout Mad Men. And it's great when you can, like, watch a TV show and be like, <gasps> Pyrex. <laughs> so what were you going to say? Oh, I just, I do love, like, watching that show and kind of, I think people love to watch it and vicariously, like, go through that fashion era again which is so opposite to really what we're wearing and doing now which is so like at the leisure like pretty much wearing sweatpants in all situations (laughs) and that it was not the aesthetic (laughs) then like to have your house being a certain way have your you're gonna dress up for you know just to be home yeah um i find also interesting because uh I guess as a more modern woman, it's really interesting to watch Mad Men in like the 1960s and when things kind of really start to change and the style changes and, um, you know, you kind of see Peggy develop throughout that entire series. So, yeah, I I really enjoy Mad Men for that, um, showing how things kind of started to change there. Yeah. So it looks like we are running out of time, but thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about your love of Pyrex and vintage. (laughs) Thanks for having me. 
I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our Heritage Broadcast Assistant is Natalie Dignam in partnership with the Conservation Corps Newfoundland and Labrador ECHO program. We would love to know what you think of the show. If you have a question or a suggestion for a future program, leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page, email livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.